welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to get there in just a moment. We're in the third week of our At The Movies series. And if you weren't here with us the last year or if you haven't been here with us the last couple of weeks, let me explain to you a little bit of what we do here in the At The Movies series. First of all, we aren't looking to movies for any sort of spiritual guidance. We're not looking towards movies or, or media or, or the mainstream culture, anything for, for life direction. We're not even looking toward these movies for inspiration, although we do know that some of these movies are inspirational. Like you go and you watch a movie, you come out, you feel better, you feel encouraged, you feel energized. There's, uh, there's a, a website that we use called VidAngel, and it even measures the amount of inspiration in a movie, and it does a pretty good job. Uh, let me pause here and give you a little bit of a commercial, a little practical commercial real quick. How many of you know what VidAngel is? Anybody know what vid angel is? V-I-D angel. I don't know how to spell angel. I'd probably spell it angle. But vid angel. Um, it, let me just tell you what this is. Because we are a people, Christians, the church, everybody. I, we are a people that love movies. We, we consume movies. I know that you guys watch movies. What this vid angel is, it's a, it's a movie renting website or app or however you choose to do it. And you can rent these movies for $1. Okay, you have to make a $20 like deposit there, and then you rent it for $1. And then if you ever close it, you get all that money back. But you rent it for a dollar. And, and it's set up in a way that you're able to filter the content in the movies. Like moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, aunts, and uncles, if you have some little ones in your home, like I believe that it is your responsibility and it is our responsibility as grown-ups to guard and protect the innocence of our little ones. Right, And so what this website does, what this program does, is it will filter out all of the cuss words. It'll filter out all of the, the references to God and Jesus in a derogatory way. It'll filter out all of the, the sexual content and the nudity and, and the sex scenes and stuff like that. And if you're watching movies with nudity and stuff like that, maybe reevaluate what you're watching. But that's a whole different um, conversation. But, uh, but it'll filter through all of that stuff. And so it's great if you have like some young ones who like really love the superhero movies, but there's like too many cuss words in it. Like one, two, one cuss word is too many. Um, you can filter all those out. You just click the button. You say, I don't want to hear that word or that word or that word. And it filters all of it out. And it's just a perfect tool for you to be able to guard the innocence and the integrity of your family and your kids. And so I would encourage you guys to check it out if you're movie people. And I told the first service, I, I, I feel like it's okay for us to tell our kids and our grandkids that we're going to be a little bit different that there are going to be things that we're not going to allow into our home, that there are going to be things that we're not going to allow into our heart. And when we make the steps early on to be a little bit different, God is going to, to take us down a path that when we are older, when we are ready to do something, that we can make a big difference because when we were younger, we made little steps to be a little bit different. How many of you know that's true? Amen. Let's be different. And that, and that vid angel is a great opportunity. It's a great way. I would encourage all of you to... Um, Check that out. But that's just a little commercial. I uh, hope that helps you. Uh, so what we do in this at the movies, we don't preach movies. The only thing that we're ever going to preach here at North Shore is, is Scripture. We're always going to look at the Bible, open up the Bible and see what it has to say. But what we're doing is we're using some of the popular movies over the last couple of years to, to uh, give us a little bit of a background or, or act as a little bit of a launching pad for our message this morning. And so the movie that we're going to consider this morning is called McFarland, USA. McFarland, USA. How many of you have seen this movie? You're familiar with this. McFarland, USA. It's a, it's a pretty good one. This is one that I would actually recommend. Um, McFarland, USA is based on a true story about a man named Coach White. And Coach White was coaching football. He was in a, he, he was in a pretty wealthy community and doing a pretty good job there uh, coaching football. Some things happened where he had to move to a town called McFarland. And in this town of McFarland, it was, uh, most, it was a mostly Hispanic community. They were, it was full of 
first-generation immigrants that survived by migrant farm work. They, they worked really, really hard in the fields, and that was the kind of community it was. And Coach White was, and his family were really one of the only white families in this predominantly Hispanic community. And he came to the school, and he was teaching and really just trying to find his rhythm, trying to find where he fit or, or where he belonged because it was just a new culture, a new world for him and his family. And um, through a series of weeks and months as he was trying to find where he fit, he was watching some of these high school boys. And a lot of these high school boys, they would help their parents out in the field every day. And so in the morning before school, they'd wake up early, they'd hop on the truck, they'd go out in the fields, and, and they would work the fields for a while until school started. Then they would, they would run from the fields back to the school and, and do their schoolwork throughout the day. And so he was watching some of them, and in his PE classes, he was noticing just how fast some of these kids were. And... Um, uh, running back and forth to the fields and school. And, and as he was watching them, he realized that in this community and in these boys, it was like a perfect cocktail, a perfect mixture of raw athleticism and insane work ethic. And so uh, Coach White, he saw some amazing potential in these boys where nobody else did. And he convinced them to join a cross-country team in that school that, that didn't previously exist. And so Coach White, he mentored them, he believed in them, he showed them the potential that existed inside of them. Coach White showed these seven boys how to dream. He showed them how to set goals and chase goals and achieve goals and, and dream big dreams and think that the impossible was possible. And in this movie, it, it tells the story of how he coached them to the very first high school state cross-country championship in California history. Just a really cool, really inspiring kind of movie. It's awesome. I'd recommend it. It's a story of champions coming from small places, unlikely places, and overcoming tremendous odds. But, but this story and the path to the championship and, and their, their cross-country state title began with, with a dream. It began with a belief. And I believe that the ability to dream is crucial to the human DNA. The ability to dream. I believe that the ability to dream is crucial to the church. Listen, when the church loses its ability to dream is the moment we stop being the church that Jesus promised he would build. Right? We as a church have to believe that God is able to use us to accomplish impossible things. We as the church have to be able to believe and we have to be able to dream that when the enemy attacks, God is going to resist the enemy and that God is going to overwhelm and reign victorious against the enemy, whatever the enemy is, whoever the enemy is, and however the enemy begins to attack. We believe this. We have an ability to dream because we read scripture and we know that all through the Old Testament and all through the New Testament, there was time and time again when the enemies of God would rise up against the people of God and God God would overwhelm them in amazing and fantastic ways. And we believe that if God did it in Scripture, however many thousands of years ago, He can do it and will do it again today. We have to, as a church, have the ability to dream. Amen? We have to have the ability to dream. We as believers, when we lose the ability to dream, is the moment that we forfeit our ability to be effective for the kingdom of God. The ability to dream lies at the core of the believer's DNA. It's God's gift to us. The ability to dream, uh, that, that call of God, is what makes us as believers, what makes us as a church unafraid to attempt the impossible. If you were here with us last week, we talked about a situation that happened in 1 Samuel chapter 16 where God tells Samuel to go to Jesse's house because God is going to choose the next king of Israel from one of Jesse's sons. And um, so Samuel goes to Jesse's house. He's getting ready to anoint the next king of Israel. And uh, there's one thing that's important that I, I think it's critical for us to understand that 
when the prophet Samuel anoints the next king of Israel, he doesn't immediately wear the crown and sit on the throne. There's a difference between the anointing and the crowning. And so this morning, what we're going to focus on is that, is that moment where a dream in a young man was ignited and how that changes and affects the life of those who are believers. And so Samuel, he went to Jesse's place and he was going to identify and anoint the man who is going to next sit on the throne in Israel. And so he goes, First Samuel chapter 16, verse 6, um, Jesse shows up at Samuel's house and he tells, or, or, or Samuel shows up at Jesse's house and he tells Jesse, go get your boys. I want to talk to them. I want to pray for one of them and, and let's just go gather them around. Verse 6 says this, when they came, all the boys, Samuel looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And so um, they're all gathered there. Jesse introduces Samuel to his oldest son, Eliab, and Samuel sees him. We talked about this last week. He's big, he's strong, he's confident. He looks like he has some natural leadership giftings. He looks like a king. And then we read this scripture last week, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Verse 8, then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. So Jesse's thinking, okay, it's not Eliab. Oh, here's Abinadab. He's the next one in line. He's big. He's strong. He's kingly as well. And Samuel said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And so it, I don't know why Scripture identifies these three boys by name, but, but it seems to me that there has to be some significance to it. And I wonder if these weren't the three boys, the three oldest boys of Jesse's, that, that he had the most confidence in, that he believed in, and that he saw the most potential in. I wonder if, if when he was getting ready to present the boys to um, Samuel, he knew that it's got to be one of these oldest. It's got to be Eliab. It's got to be Abinadab. It's got to be Shema. These guys have it going on. They're, they're leaders. They're strong. They're authoritative. They're direct. They're kingly. You know, this is Jesse, and Jesse knows his boys, right? Verse 10 says, And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. And so, you know, we got Eliab, where Jesse said, hey, look at Eliab, and Samuel says, no. We got Abinadab, and Jesse said, look at Abinadab, and Samuel says, no. We got Shema, Jesse says, look at Shema, and Samuel says, no. And then we don't even know the rest. It's got those one, two, three, the, the, the first, like, the first draft choices right there. And then we got like four, five, six, and seven. We don't even know their names, right? They don't even get their names in Scripture. And so, and so, Jesse, or Samuel says to all of them, no. The Lord has rejected all seven of Jesse's sons. And um, this must have been confusing for Samuel. He must have thought, well, I, don't, I know that God told me to come to Bethlehem to, to introduce myself to Jesse and find one of his sons, but God has rejected all of his sons. Uh, it must have been confusing for him, so it leads us to verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all of your sons here? And Jesse said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. Jesse says, oh yeah, I mean, these are the seven with the most potential. There's one more, he's the youngest. Um, he's out there tending the sheep. I, I really didn't think that I would need to call him. I, you know, look, I know my boys. I know where their giftings are. I know where their potential is. I really didn't think it was necessary for me to bring him in from the sheep because, um, you know, Eliab and the other two, they're your best options. And then uh, one of these other four may do um, this one out there in the field. He's probably not going to be chosen for anything. Um, so I, I didn't even bother calling him in. I was on an airplane once, and the flight attendant was giving the pre-flight instructions and what to do in the case of emergency. If you've ever been on an airplane, it's the same thing they do every time. Saying, you know, in the case of a crash, your chair is a flotation device, which, you know, that instills a ton of confidence in the case of a plane crash. But 
um, they were saying what to do if the oxygen masks open up, and they were saying uh, if you're traveling with a child, make sure you secure your oxygen mask first before you um, help your child. You know, make sure mom, dad, you take care of yourself first. You know, it would be, do you no good to you know pass out while you're helping your child, and then you know you just be, you know, a lump of whatever there, and. Um, and then, and then she said something that was a little different than I'd ever heard before. She said this. She said, and if you're traveling with more than one child, well, decide now which one of them has the most potential. And uh, so it's just kind of a, like, all right, we'll choose you, you know, sort of thing. Um, but it seems like Jesse had already done that, right? Jesse had already ranked his boys. Jesse had already lined them up towards which one was the most, had the most potential. In fact, the youngest had so little potential in Jesse's eyes that he didn't even go and get him when Samuel came. Now look, as, as we talk about dreams this morning, as we talk about the call of God on our life, I want you to hear something from me. Sometimes it's the people closest to us that are the biggest hindrance to us fulfilling the God-given dream that he's placed on our life. Sometimes it's the people closest to us that fight the hardest against God's call on our life. Now listen, I graduated from Central Bible College. It was a, it was a college that was, uh, that's um, designed to train ministers and missionaries. So it was very much directed at people going into ministry and... Um, Every year at graduation, they would say the same thing before they would hand out the diplomas. They would say this. They would say, um, if you're here, you're going to celebrate a child, a family member that is graduating. We're going to ask you to not applause, not shout, not scream their name or say woohoo or anything when their name gets called. We don't want anybody cheering for individuals. And they would always say this, because there are people in this place there are graduates here this morning that are pursuing ministry that have, in essence, had to turn their back on what their family wanted for them, and they are here fulfilling the call of God on their life, and their parents and their family aren't happy about it, and there's nobody here to support them. And so he would say, the president would say every time, so we don't want anybody clapping until the end, and then we're going to clap for all of them. And you know what? That was true because there was people that would graduate. There were people who were called into ministry. There were people who were fulfilling the call of God on their life. And it's not just ministry, but there are people who were fulfilling the dream that God had placed in their life. And the people closest to them, the people that were supposed to love them and encourage them the most, fought them the hardest. And so there's going to be people closest to us that are going to hinder the God-given dreams that he's put in our life. Verse 11, and Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him. Go get the young one that's out in the field, for we will not sit down till he comes. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And I want you to hear this part. We're going to get to it in just a, in a little bit at the end. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Now, he wasn't the king yet. In fact, um, though he was anointed there, and though there was a dream that was birthed inside of him, a divine and royal dream, he wasn't, not a whole lot changed for David. David was still helping his father out. He was still the youngest. He was still looked down upon by his brothers, no doubt. Uh, he was spending some time working for his father uh, there in the fields as a shepherd. And then he would spend some time in the king's palace not being groomed to be the second in command. In fact, that, that wouldn't have made Saul happy if he would have known that this other boy had been anointed to be the next king. And so, so Saul didn't really know that that was coming. Um, but he was there because Saul enjoyed his music. The king enjoyed his music. Um, David was a talented musician. And so Saul would bring David in to play music for him. And so it was, in this, it was in this season where David was sort of a part-time uh, shepherd and sort of a part-time musician for the king. He was back and forth, um, not really fulfilling the call or fulfilling the dream or even pursuing the dream that God had placed on his life. And there's something that can be incredibly frustrating about dreams because oftentimes God will plant inside of his people a dream 
and not much of anything happens immediately. There, there are times where, where God places a call on the life of the believer. Even an unbeliever, there are times when the Holy Spirit will, will, will press through that unbelief and he will speak to the unbeliever. And, and even the unbeliever will know that there is a divine call on their life. And in that moment, after that happens, not much changes. Everything seems to go on as usual, and, and that can be incredibly frustrating if you're pursuing that dream. If you want God to fulfill that dream in your life, you say, God, it's here. How come you're not giving me the things to, to accomplish that dream? How come you're not putting me in position to accomplish that dream? During the, the nine months that a woman is pregnant, there are a lot of changes that go on in her body. Her body goes through a lot of changes. Um, I, I said that to the first service, and they kind of just sat there blankly and didn't say anything. But you understand, right, that a woman's body goes through changes in nine months of pregnancy, right? You guys don't get it either, really? Well, what happens when a woman's baby, her ribs go like this, all of her insides get meshed around, and, like, she waddles, okay? That's what happens. <clears throat> it's true, right? Probably shouldn't say that from a microphone on church, but she does. So... Her body goes through a lot of changes, but the reality is at the moment of conception, when life begins inside of the woman's womb, it could be days or even weeks before she or anybody else realizes that she's pregnant. There, there are private and there, there's this private and internal period of growth and development that is going on inside of a woman that nobody else sees. Like, nobody knows what's happening on the inside. And, and most times, the, the, the woman who is pregnant will kind of know that something's happening. She'll kind of get this sense, this feeling that something's going on, that, that she might be pregnant even before she, like, gets the results of a pregnancy test. But, but she knows that something is happening, and it's happening internally. It's, it's deep inside of her that she, only she, knows what's going on. Dreams are a lot the same way, that there is a moment that, that God breathes a dream. He whispers a calling into the life of a believer, and in their deep inside, in that spirit, and in that soul area, that dream is beginning to take root. That dream is beginning to grow and develop in there, but nobody else can see it. Nobody really knows. But that person who that dream is growing inside, they, they can feel it. They feel that sense that something is developing. At the beginning of her pregnancy, not much changes. Nobody can really see, but God is doing something miraculous and wonderful inside of her. Then there is a stage of pregnancy where things change a little bit. It's that next stage where she begins to show signs of pregnancy. And not to add to any of your insecurities, ladies, but this is the stage where we talk about you and not to you, okay? We do this. We, we talk about you, and, and you do it too, but, but we all do this. We don't ask if you're pregnant, but we ask somebody else if they're pregnant, right? So, so you're walking through, you see somebody, maybe you're in the church, you look, you look through the foyer, you see somebody in the way, like their shirt is falling down or, or something, I don't know. And, um, and then you, like, you have a conversation on the way home while you're going to Taco Bell to get Sunday dinner. Um, yeah, amen. It used to be roast beef, but now it's Taco Bell. And, uh, and so what do you do? You say, hey, did you notice so-and-so? Yeah. Like, is she pregnant? Or maybe she had too much to eat on the 4th of July? I don't know. <laughs> like, that's why you don't ask, right? You don't ever ask if somebody's pregnant. Like, even if they're, like, nine months pregnant and ready to pop, like, you don't, you just assume that they're pregnant. Like, you know, most people say, well, did you ask her? No, I didn't ask if she was pregnant. I don't ask if anybody's pregnant. I just assume that nobody's pregnant. Like, I'm not going to ask that. But... But there are those moments that, that you see signs of life inside of a woman. Maybe they got a little baby bump showing. Maybe you can kind of see some things changing or the, the, their clothes have changed a little bit. And you see there are signs of pregnancy there. But I'm going to talk about them and not to them because I don't want to have that awkward conversation if they're not. Right? As, you know what I'm talking about. Don't leave me up here by myself. Okay. Dreams are the same way. 
as a dream grows and develops inside a person, the same things start to happen. Now listen, there, there, there is a season in the development of that dream where people are going to talk about you and not to you because your dream is starting to show. Now listen, God, that thing that God has birthed inside of you, that calling that God has placed inside of you begins to reveal itself in you, in the way you talk, in the way you think, in the way you act, in what you do. And maybe you're not noticing it too much, but people are noticing it. And they're talking about you. They're not talking to you, but they're talking about you. Man, have you seen David? Like just the way he talks is different. The way he treats people is different. I mean, there, there seems, like there's a, seems like there's a purpose inside of him. There's something more. I was talking to a guy in our church just the other day, and you know, I've seen his, his dream has been showing for the last couple of years. I just see God doing something inside of him. And every time I look at him, it's just more. And, and he told me the other day, he said, Chris, I just feel like God has more. There's more. And it didn't surprise me because his dream has been showing for months. It's like when somebody tells you they're pregnant, you're like, yeah, I, I know. Pastor Chris, there, there's more. I, I feel like God wants more. Yeah, I know. I can see it. And it doesn't surprise me in the least bit. Your dream is showing. Then there's a stage for a woman that the pregnancy affects everything. Everything. How they sleep. Right? With 14 pillows all planned strategically around their body. Right? She doesn't care at all whether I get any sleep or not because there's pillows everywhere. Right? It affects everything. It affects how they walk, right? Pregnant people walk a little bit different. They've got the hand on the hip. They kind of lean back a little bit. It affects how they bend over to pick things up, right? They, they, the pregnant ladies, when they bend over, they pick things up. They do like a weird, like kind of lean back thing and it's just like it affects everything how many times they go to the bathroom in the span of 15 minutes right how they treat their husbands right I've told you before Melissa and I were fighting when she was pregnant once and I asked her like are you really upset or is this just your pregnancy hormones and, and I still don't know which one it was I think it was pregnancy hormones because she got really mad when I said that don't say that. But it affects everything about them, and there is no doubt in anybody's mind that that, that, that baby is growing, and it becomes all-consuming for the mother. Now, the dream happens the same way. It grows inside the life of a believer. It begins to do the same thing. It becomes your identity. It's what you think about. It's what you read about. It's what you talk about. When you lay your head on your pillow at night, it's what you dream about. It becomes all-consuming. And when people look at you, they don't have to wonder anymore. They know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are pursuing a dream, that you are answering a call that God has placed on your life because it's become all-consuming. I want to say something to you this morning. If God has given you a dream, if God has put a call on your life, maybe it's been years ago, months ago, and nothing's happening, you're not seeing anything, I want to tell you this morning, keep on dreaming. If God put a call on your life, you keep on trusting that call. But I'm not seeing anything change. I'm not seeing any circumstances develop that I can pursue that call. Look, you keep on trusting. You keep on believing. You keep on dreaming. Oftentimes, the bigger the dream, the longer the gestation period. You know? The bigger the dream, the longer the gestation period. The, the bigger the dream, the longer it takes to cook inside of your spirit and your soul. Right? I'm going to give you a couple of, of points here this morning. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. Um, number one is this. Just be a dreamer. Be a dreamer. The moment Samuel poured that oil over David, something changed inside of him. Something began to happen. It awoke something more inside of him. It generated a belief that he wasn't going to be limited by what was humanly possible. Dreamers aren't bound by the impossible. Dreamers aren't bound by the impossible. In McFarland, USA, college for these 
boys, these high school boys, was an impossibility. There was no way that they were going to make it to college. There was no way that they could afford college. They just weren't going to college. It wasn't even in the conversation. And even in this movie, it was, it was uh, pointed out, there were times that, that as these boys were beginning to, to dream a little bit, to think about college, they were taking their studies more seriously, and their parents discouraged them from opening the books. Their, their parents discouraged them from thinking about college because they thought in their minds that college was completely out of the question. There was no way that they were going to get there, but they started dreaming, and things began to change. They started talking about college scholarships. They started talking about the potential and the ability that if they ran fast enough and if they worked hard enough, then doors would open up and they would get college scholarships and they would be able to go to college and get a college degree for free. And, they, and though just months ago they thought there was no possible way that they could do that, now they were beginning to believe that college was within reach, that the impossible was within reach. Dreamers aren't afraid of opposition. Dreamers aren't afraid of opposition. They're going to be people who will stand in direct opposition to your dream and to your call. They will discourage you, attack, belittle, and sabotage you. There will be people, as you pursue that dream, that call on your life, there will be people who are going to root for you to fail. There will be people who you don't know and people who you do know that are going to stand against you, but dreamers aren't afraid of opposition. Dreamers expect opposition. Years ago, about 10 or so years ago, I was reading through 1 Samuel, and I noticed something um, that had a deep impact on my life. It was something simple, I'm sure obvious to many of you, and you've all got this before, but it took a while for me to catch this. Um, and I just couldn't stop thinking about it. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you have your Bible open, there is usually a, a category above that um, scripture where it identifies what you're about to read. Um, that's not scripture itself, but it's just kind of like, hey, this is, this is what this next section is going to talk about. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, right above that number 16, there in most of your Bibles, it says this, David anointed king. And so it's, it's telling you that in this chapter, 1 Samuel 16, it's going to talk about how David is anointed as the future king of Israel. The reality of this, though, though we look at it and we think, oh yeah, it's obvious because David was an awesome king, King David, he was the greatest king in Israel's history. The reality is the likelihood of David being anointed as the next king of Israel was such an impossibility that his dad, we talked about this, that his dad didn't even invite him to the meeting, right? So this was a big deal. The very next chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 17, the, the highlight, the title over that chapter says what? David and Goliath. So David was anointed king in 1 Samuel chapter 16. The very next chapter, 1 Samuel 17, David fights Goliath. I don't know why I thought this, but in my mind, I always kind of just assumed that he fought Goliath first. In my mind, I always just kind of assumed that he did something kingly and courageous and awesome first. In my mind, I always thought that, that when David fought Goliath, that was the moment that David got God's attention. But the reality is, David got God's attention long before he fought the giant. That David got God's attention in his private life, David had God's attention when he was ordinary, when he was average, and when he was picked very last. David got God's attention, and I believe that it was the birth of the dream inside of David and the promise and the call of God on his life that gave him the courage to fight against a giant when nobody else would because dreamers aren't afraid of opposition. Many of you know the story. Um, the, the Israelite army is on this ridge. The Philistine army is on this ridge. They were lined up. They were prepared. They were ready for battle. And every day they thought maybe today we're going to fight. But every day 
the giant, Goliath, would march down through the ranks of the Philistines, come down into the valley, and he would issue a challenge. He would say, hey, look, we don't need to fight the Israelite and the Philistine army. We don't need to fight against each other. I'll fight your champion. So Israel, you send out your greatest warrior. I'll stand out here. Us two will fight. If he beats me, the Philistines will surrender. If I beat him, the Israelites will surrender. So we don't need to shed all this blood. We just need to fight one-on-one, and the entire nation will honor the results of that battle. Day after day, Goliath, this gigantic man from Philistine, would come down, and he would be more emboldened and more belligerent against Israel and God, the God of Israel's army. And 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 13, says this. The three oldest sons of Jesse who followed Saul to the battle, remember them? Eliab, Abinadab, and Shema. The three that were identified by name that would be uh, good fits to be a potential king of Israel. They had joined Saul's army. They were standing amongst the warriors in Israel ready to fight. The names of these three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn and next to him Abinadab and the third Shema. Those three, they were there ready to fight but they wouldn't respond to the charge from Goliath. And I want, you to, I want to say this, I want to stop for a second, and I just want to tell you, don't think for a second that God can only use first-picked people. In fact, God loves using those who are picked last. And I think that's important for somebody here this morning because you've always, your whole life, been picked last. You've always, your whole life, been viewed as that extra person that, oh, I guess we'll take him if nobody else will. God loves using people who were picked last. Verse 14 says, David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed the father's sheep at Bethlehem. And so what happens is David's at home um, working with the sheep, and Jesse puts together a care package, and he says, David, I want you to take this care package to to your older brothers there uh, in the battle. I want you to to, to give them some of this stuff so that they can kind of have a taste of home. And so David does, and verse 23 says, As David talked with his brothers, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. Verse 25, I know you know the story, but I want you to see this. And the men of Israel said, the army, the, the warriors there that were lined up in Israel said this, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David overheard these men talking about this. And he was like, wait, what? What did you say? What did you say the king is going to do for the man who kills the giant? He's going to make his father's house rich. He's going to make his father's house free. And the man gets to marry the king's daughter. Like, did, did I hear you right? Is that, is that what you're saying? And David's oldest brother, Eliab, he overhears this and he gets mad. Verse 28. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men... And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Like Eliab was scared of Goliath, but he wasn't scared of David, right? He was still kind of mocking him and belittling him. Oh, great future king of Israel, right? Who have you left those few? Go back home and tend the sheep, because that's all you're good for. I know what you're doing, David. Stop asking questions, go back and take care of the sheep because that's where you belong. And David said in verse 29, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? He's like, look, I'm just asking. I'm just asking. Verse 30, and he turned away from his brother toward another and spoke in the same way and the people answered him again as before. And so he's like, again, let me get this straight. You said, if whoever goes in and kills the giant gets to marry the king's daughter. Really? You see, what's happening with David is that his dream is beginning to show. You see this? That dream that God had planted, that call that God had planted inside of his life, that, that thing that was, that was an impossibility, God is beginning to grow, and, and David's beginning to believe that it is a possibility, and his dream is starting to show. 
Verse 32, and David said to Saul, the current king, let no man's heart fail because of him, your servant. David saying, I will go and fight with the Philistine. We don't have time to look at the rest of it and read the rest of the scripture, but what happens is David goes out and they have this conversation like, David, no, you're too little. You can't do this. And David says, yeah, I'm going to go. David goes out there. He fights the giant, just him and the giant. The scripture, uh, what, what many believe is that David was around 16 years old. He goes out there. He fights the giant. He cuts his head off. David wins. The dream didn't make him cautious. It made him fearless. The dream didn't make him cautious. It made him fearless. Now, there's something that happens when uh, a football player in college is uh, predicted to be drafted like number one that next year in the NFL draft. Um, a lot of times, that, that college football player who used to just be a beast, just an animal, just go out there and just crazy, the mindset, he would be aggressive and attack. The, the second that he is declared to go number one next year, he becomes passive. He becomes timid because he wants to protect everything that makes him awesome. He doesn't want to get hurt because if he gets hurt, then he's not going to go number one anymore because, because he wants to protect this. And so a lot of times instead of going aggressive, he'll back off. He won't go as fast. He'll be timid. He'll be more afraid. And many times he doesn't want to do anything. There's even been talks lately about those guys sitting out the year so that they can protect themselves when they do get drafted. But the exact opposite happens to the believer and to that person who is called by God to do great things. Because it would have been really easy for David to be like, hey, look, I can't go fight him. I'm the future king. Right? If I go fight him and, and I get hurt or I get killed, that messes up God's plan. David had this belief. David had this confidence in God that if God called him to be the future king of Israel, God was going to keep him in the battle against Goliath. That's good, amen? God, or David believed, he had courage to fight the giant, I believe, because he had a divine call and a divine dream in his life. It didn't make him cautious, it made him fearless. If God has called me to be the king, look, I'm not the king yet, so there's nothing that that giant can do to me because God had put a dream and a call inside of my life, and there is nothing, not even a giant in Philistine, that can stop me from achieving my dream. You want somebody to go kill him? I'll kill him. Because God has put a dream inside of him. Dreamers see opportunity where others see opposition. David's dream is starting to show. He was beginning to operate with the belief that that dream was going to become a reality. I'll fight him. God's got something bigger in store for me. There's a great line in that movie. Worship team, please come. There's a great line in that movie, McFarland, USA. It was after the first official high school cross-country meet, and, and the McFarland team just got beat. They got beat really bad. And um, the problem was that they had been practicing the entire time on just flat ground running through the fields, running on the streets and stuff. And when they got to the meet, there was a lot of hills in the meet. And, and, and the whole team died on the hills. Like they were just exhausted on the hills. And uh, so after that meet, the coach was apologizing to them. He said, look, this is my fault. Um, I didn't have you prepared. Uh, we hadn't been practicing on hills. I should have known that. He said, but we're going to start running hills. And we're going to run more hills than anybody else. And we are going to, to just work on the hills and work on the hills. And he says this, we're going to get to the point when we see a hill, we smile. Do you see those challenges that you face in your life? Do you see those hills as opposition or opportunity? David's brother saw a 500-pound bloodthirsty giant. David saw an opportunity. You see, his dream was bigger than that giant. And the bigger the dream, the smaller the giants become. Be a dreamer. Number two, we'll go through these last ones pretty quick. Be a dream planter. I think we got to be careful not to overlook a critical component of this conversation. And every great team is a great coach. And every great man of God is somebody that you don't see that is behind them, that was pouring life and pouring anointing into them. The McFarland cross-country team had Coach White. And when the team was interviewed years later, they said things like, he was a father figure to me. He believed in me. He taught us to believe in ourselves. You see, Coach White wasn't just a dreamer. He was a dream planter. 
When Samuel showed up at Jesse's house, Samuel didn't come as a dreamer. He came as a man that was determined to plant a God-sized dream and a God-sized calling in one of those young boys. He was a dream planter. He said, I'm going to come here. I'm going to talk to a young man, and when I leave, he's going to see his life in a different way than what he did this morning when he woke up. I believe in my heart that there are some of you here this morning that have been called not necessarily to be great dreamers, but to be great dream planters. There are some of you who have a gift to call greatness out of people. You have an anointing to bring people to a place where they believe that they are capable of more for God. We need godly men and women who will be intentional about planting God-sized dreams into the next generation. We need godly men and women who are going to say, look, the next generation is uniquely equipped to do more for the kingdom of God than any generation previously. We need men and women who are willing to look at people with potential and call out that potential and say, look, your dream is starting to show. And if nobody else can see it, I can see it. Maybe God has called you to plant a God-sized dream. Last thing, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Number three is this, embrace the anointing. We have to be a people who will embrace the anointing. This is one piece of scripture that I want to point out again before we close because this is core to the gospel. I'm going to say this, then we're going to pray. This is core gospel. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. We've already read it. I'm going to read it again. Back when Samuel was with the boys, and he saw David, and God said, that's the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, and in Scripture, oil often symbolizes the Holy Spirit. We don't want to go too far into symbolism because sometimes it can get a little bit messy, but one thing we know that's pretty certain is that oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit. And when Samuel took that horn of oil, he poured it over David. And it wasn't just like a little dot on his forehead or anything like that. It was a whole horn of oil. He poured it on him. It hit his head. It ran down his shoulders, down his legs, and onto the ground, off of his feet. Like there was just this full rush of physical oil that was all over his head. He was sticky. He was wet. And he was just full of oil from head to toe. Now, in a very physical way, just as that oil, that physical oil was running over him, the spiritual anointing of the Holy Spirit was all over him. It was rushing over him. And the scripture says, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. There is an anointing of the Holy Spirit. There is an anointing of the power of God that if we want to accomplish our God-sized dreams, we must begin to embrace. Some of you have dreams, and they're your dreams. You can accomplish your dreams with your own hard work, your own grit, your own work ethic, your own smarts, but you will never be able to accomplish the God-sized dreams and the call that God has on your life without the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the power of God in your life. It's impossible. You need the anointing. We need to embrace the anointing. We have to learn to trust the Holy Spirit. Stand your feet all across this place. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to close with a question and I just feel like, man, this is the thing that God has been hammering these last couple of weeks. Just the same thing over and over and over and over again these last couple of weeks is more of the Holy Spirit. More of the anointing more of the power of God in our life. We need to be a people who will embrace the anointing. Maybe you have a dream this morning that you've neglected and you've neglected the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And for you, you feel like, you know what, it's time for me to embrace that anointing. It's time for me to embrace that power. I'm going to ask a question and I'm not going to ask you to come down to the altar or anything like that this morning. But I'm going to ask this question. If you need more of the Holy Spirit, if you're ready to embrace that anointing, 
If you're ready to say, you know what, I, I believe that God has a call on my life, but I've been lacking the power to fulfill it, the power to embrace it, the power to with courage face the giants that are in my way, and I need that anointing. If that's you and you're ready to, if you would just say, I need more of the Holy Spirit, I need more of the anointing, and you're ready to embrace that anointing, would you with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you raise your hand signifying, that, yeah, that's me. I need more of that Holy Spirit. I'm ready to embrace that anointing. I just need more of the power of God in my life. So what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask you to keep your hand raised. And as your hand is up, your altar call begins right now. And so I want you to just begin to pray and cry out to the Holy Spirit and ask Him to, to show you what that looks like. Ask Him to help you embrace that anointing and operate with the power of God and to fill you up fresh and new. Now maybe you're in this place and you would say, I've never been a dreamer. I want God to call me. I want to know the call of God on my life. I want to know the dream. You've never been a dreamer. I want to say to you, it's time to dream. It's time to dream again. It's time to dream more. Maybe you're an unbeliever in this place and you're not necessarily ready to, to commit your life to Jesus, but, but you're ready to dream. If that's you, with everybody else's hands that are already up, staying up, if that's you and you're ready to dream, would you just raise your hand and signify, yeah, that's me, I'm ready to dream. I'm ready to dream. With your hands raised, your altar call begins right now, right where you're at. I want you to just begin to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you in a very specific way. And in essence, you're saying, Lord, here I am, I'm ready. Whatever you want from me, I'm ready, I'm willing. Maybe you're here and you're, you are one that's uniquely designed to be a dream planter. As we've been talking through this message, as I've been talking about dreams and greatness and great things, you weren't thinking about yourself, but, but you were thinking about somebody else in your life. That's the Holy Spirit prompting you to be a dream planter. And if in this conversation, you were thinking about somebody else, that name came up, I want you to do this for the next 30 seconds. I want you to begin to pray for that person who came to your mind throughout the message because God is calling you to be a dream planter for them. To nurture that dream, to water that dream, to cultivate that dream because God wants to use you to speak great things into people. We're gonna close this message. We're gonna take a minute and we're just gonna ask Pastor Dan to sing as we, in the spirit of unity, in the spirit of surrender to Jesus, just allow the Holy Spirit to fill us up even more. Allow the Holy Spirit to give us opportunity and, and to prompt us to dream again and to be a dream planter. Pastor Dan, go ahead and lead us through this one time. All across this place, if you have your hands raised, let's go ahead and continue to stay in that attitude of surrender. If you don't, would you just raise your hands in worship if you're comfortable? As we just in unison surrender to him. Jesus is calling. Do you thirst for drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgive. 